0: Did you know that students get it free? The Irish Times offers a free digital subscription to all full-time undergraduates. Keep up to date for free with quality journalism and reporting. Claim yours today at irishtimes.com slash subscribe slash student.
1: Xi Jinping is expected to announce that he'll remain as Chinese president for a third term. The convention has been to step aside after two, suggesting a swing back towards the totalitarianism of Mao.
0: This idea that China faces crucial challenges and Xi Jinping is the only leader who has the capability to lead the uh, the country.
1: China's Communist Party is holding its National Congress this week, where we'll find out who's in and who's out of Xi's inner circle. The highly choreographed event also sets out the party's plans for the country over the next five years.
0: His two-hour-long opening speech signalled no major changes, including to the heavy-handed zero-Covid policy.
1: His critics say the strategy is a thinly-veiled attempt to control its citizens. And the pandemic has given him a golden opportunity to crack down and limit people's freedom of movement. While tensions continue to mount over the issue of Taiwan. We will continue to strive for peaceful reunification with the greatest sincerity and the utmost effort. But we will never promise to renounce the use of force and we reserve the option of taking all measures necessary. With zero Covid and a major property crisis, there are turbulent times ahead for the world's second largest economy. I'm Conor Pope and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, what's happening in China and what does it mean for the world? Dennis Daunton, you were in Beijing this morning, or I believe it's this afternoon for you, and you arrived in China in very unusual circumstances. Can you tell me a little bit about your first week or so there?
0: Well, every visitor to China has to go into quarantine for seven days and then spend another three days in self-isolation. And so what happens is that before you get on the plane at all, you do two tests, one the day before you fly, another two days before that. And so I took those in Dublin, went to Frankfurt, and then at Frankfurt Airport two more tests while in transit and then get the flight to Beijing. And when the plane arrives, uh, all these people in hazmat suits are waiting outside. You go, you get tested once again, and then you go in uh, you're taken in a bus to a hotel and in my case it was the holiday in Beijing Airport zone which is quite far from Beijing Airport actually anyway uh, so there we were and you go to your room and you don't leave that room for an entire week and they have various little sort of tannoy announcements saying, don't open the door. You get a message saying, your meal is going to arrive, and then you can open the door, you see. And so the meals arrive three times a day, left outside your door, and then you go and you grab them. And then the only other piece of human contact you get during the day is that every day they come and they test you. They leave a thermometer there and you take your temperature twice a day and somebody calls you uh, twice a day to say, what's your temperature? And then you tell them your temperature and then they say, is everything all right? And you say, yeah. That's more or less what happens. So they're clearly not messing around when it comes to keeping COVID out of China. No, it's a it's a very strict zero COVID policy, and the testing system here is everybody's got to be tested every three days. And what happens is that you've got an app on your phone, and you go to a testing center, the little kind of porta cabins on every other street corner, and you queue up and you go to one window and you uh, verify your identity, and then you go around to another window and they just uh, swab your throat and off you go. And a few hours later, that test result appears on your phone. And any time you want to go into any building, like just now, for example, I was in a public building. I had to show my to scan the phone, scan this uh, this app to go in to show you've been tested negative within the last three days. Then on the way back, I went into the shopping center next door. You scan it to go into the shopping center. Then I went to get a cup of coffee, and you scan it going into the coffee shop. Then I went into a shop to buy something. Scan it going in there, and then I came back in here to this building and scan it again. So every single place you go, you have to uh, scan this code. And, uh, and so you, you really have to just make sure that you remember that three days is up and, uh, you know, and and go and get yourself refreshed.
1: That seems extraordinary. And particularly when you consider that there's 1.4 billion people from China. Are the same rules applied to everybody
0: in the country? Yes, uh, absolutely everybody the idea is that they should be able to uh, to spot any infection and any kind of an outbreak within hours. And so what happens is that if, say, for example, I go into, you know, say this coffee shop I was in a few minutes ago, if it turns out there's an outbreak there, then they'll get in touch with me and I then either will have to go into self-isolation or I could be taken away and quarantined. Mm. And the the regime kind of varies uh, from place to place. So you remember a few months ago, Shanghai was locked down for two months and it was very harsh and people were separated from their children. You had people running out of food.
1: It's the video Chinese censors do not want you to see or share as it sparked a rare digital uprising on social media this weekend, highlighting a shared misery and helplessness felt across Shanghai.
0: In Beijing, it's, generally speaking, uh, there haven't been these kind of mass lockdowns. You've had buildings being locked down. Mm. There was somebody I was talking to today, this woman I, w- w- I was supposed to meet about something tomorrow, and she told me that she's in quarantine until tomorrow. And so you get these... Pop-ups. So, for example, if you if you go to another city, and then you come back to Beijing, what can happen is that this pop-up appears on your phone saying you've got to go and get tested twice a day for a few days, and until that time, your your code can't be scanned, which means that essentially you can't go anywhere. For those couple of days. So it's been, you know, so it's a very effective policy in terms of keeping the numbers down. And the number of infections, you know, is very small. And they'll talk about uh, the fact that there has been a bit of a spike in infections. And maybe in a city the size of Beijing, there would have been 60 infections within the space of, uh, you know, a week or a month or something. Uh, But, you know, the numbers of people who have died in China are tiny compared to other places. So the WHO figures are. Uh, less than 5,500, tiny compared to, say, over a million in the United States, which has a third of the population of China. And so when Chinese people look at, uh, you know, at the Western countries and then they look at what's happened here, they do see that despite all of the, you know, the inconvenience of the system here, that actually it has saved a lot of lives.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I think there was around three and a half thousand people died of COVID in the very first wave in February and March of 2020. So the fact that only 2000 people or so have died in the period after that is remarkable when you think of the size of the country. And have the people accepted that this is going to be their life for the foreseeable future?
0: Measuring public opinion in China is not very straightforward. I mean, they do have public opinion polling, but it's not an entirely straightforward business. But I would say that there is an acceptance that when the government says we put human life and human health first, that that is actually true in that the number of infections, the number of deaths tells its own story. You know The way out of this, obviously, is through vaccination. And what uh, China has done is that about 90% of the population has had a second vaccine dose of the Chinese uh, vaccine, which is not an mRNA vaccine. Yeah. But the problem is that uh, a lot of the people who are older haven't been vaccinated. And vaccination is not mandatory in China. And when they rolled it out, they didn't do it by age. They did it sort of frontline workers first and health workers first. And so what happened was that by the time it came to a question of whether the older people were going to get it or not, many of them thought they're a bit suspicious of vaccines anyway. And also, if there's no COVID around, why would you get a vaccine? You know, there's, uh, you know, so it seemed quite safe. And so I think that what they probably need to do is two things. One is to actually introduce a vaccine mandate so that Mm. everybody's going to have to get vaccinated. And the other thing is that they've developed a Chinese mRNA vaccine, which they haven't approved yet. So I think the thing they have to do is improve the vaccination, get that kind of total. And then also, they also need to improve therapeutic treatments, because one of the curiosities about the Chinese health system is that the primary health care system is pretty flimsy. So what happens if people get sick, they go to the hospital. And so the hospital can get very quickly overwhelmed. And so that's, uh, you know, that's another fear that they have. So one of the reasons they're moving quite slowly is because of precisely that.
1: And now the whole notion of zero COVID was one of the key policies of China's General Secretary Xi Jinping. Do you think it's been a success? It certainly seems to have been when it comes to the pure
0: numbers. It's been a success where human health is concerned, but it's had a huge cost. I mean, first of all, this testing system I was describing is incredibly expensive because there's not just the cost of the tests, there's the cost of all the people to administer the entire system. And this is funded by the local authorities, uh, many of which are strapped for cash for other reasons anyway. So it's very costly. The fact that it has affected some supply chains, not you know, too badly, but still it has affected things. So, it's had a dampening effect on the economy. And the other effect it's had is that it's cut China off because a lot of companies, say European companies, they've just stopped sending people in here. So, their Chinese operations have become much more detached from the European headquarters. And so, that again, it's sort of, you know, it's a cost. So I think that China would like to move on from uh, you know, from the current system. They'd like it to be more open. But what they don't want is that as far as they're concerned, when they talk, look at other countries, say even other countries in Asia, who haven't kind of taken this kind of great plunge into just an acceptable level of dying and illness as we have in the West, mm. uh, that if they look at these, these more cautious countries, they say they gave up zero COVID because they had to. Zero COVID, Omicron defeated them. Whereas the Chinese are saying that actually we our systems are robust enough to keep Omicron at bay. But there's another problem which they have when they think about opening up and that's to do with the success of their zero COVID policy. Hardly anybody has been exposed to COVID which means that the natural immunity is very low. Mm. And so the only immunity there is is vaccine immunity and that kind of uh, you know, wears off after a while. So that I think that when they look at how they're going to get out of this. It's a huge challenge, and I think that what we heard from Xi Jinping on Sunday when he gave his speech to the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China was that they're going to take a very cautious approach to getting out of it. Xi Jinping took the stage in Beijing's Great Hall of the People to an ovation from more than 2,000 Communist Party delegates.
1: Now, apart from Covid, the big story that you're covering this week is the Congress of the Communist Party of China. From people who don't know what that means, and I suspect that's probably most of us, Can you tell me what the Congress is and why it's so important in
0: China? Well, it happens every five years. And so you've got about 2,300 delegates from the Communist Party. They basically elect the leadership. And what happens at the very end of the thing is that the leadership walks out, these seven people in the standing committee, and they walk out in order of uh, precedence. So the first would be Xi Jinping and then the second, third, and this is the pecking order in a way. And so uh, the importance of it really is that what happens is that they set the plan really for the next five years. So uh, Xi Jinping's speech on Sunday was a report on the last five years and saying really what they had achieved and then talking about where they're going for the next. Over nearly two hours, he
1: detailed China's wins and its challenges. The party faithful followed faithfully.
0: And so where it's important is that it sets a direction and the direction that he set was, first of all, on COVID, that we're not going to have any great dramatic changes because he claimed it as a success. And then also about the economy. One of the things that happened five years ago was that uh, Xi Jinping said that the priority of China had been lifting people out of poverty and had been essentially growing the cake of prosperity uh, for China, but that now what uh, that they were on the point of achieving uh, the, the poverty reduction successfully, that what they then had to do was to look at how the cake was divided. And there was a huge amount of inequality because on the way to China getting rich, a certain number of people got extremely rich, and so, what's happened in the last few years is that the Communist Party and Xi Jinping have been clipping the wings of some of the mega-rich, some of the big tech companies. So, the kind of Chinese equivalents of uh, Facebook and uh, and all of these, you know, they've had their wings clipped a bit. You've also seen things, um, for example, they banned private tuition for kids because there's you know the Chinese equivalent of the leaving cert is uh, you know it's basically mm. to get in college and it's highly competitive and what was happening was that better off parents were spending a fortune on private tuition for their kids giving them a head start and then people in the middle just felt that their kids weren't getting a, a decent chance so in response to this the government banned private tuition and of course when they do these things uh, being a, a centralized and uh, authoritarian state they can do it uh, pretty effectively so he's so he was saying that uh, on Sunday, that, you know, this idea of more redistribution is going to continue and also perhaps expanding their social welfare system. But also at the same time, they were going to try to, uh, you know, push forward mm. in terms of being technological leaders. And this is where what he spoke about started to uh, get into the area of China's place in the world. China has been, under Xi Jinping, on a path to trying to become the predominant economy and the predominant power in the world, and basically to become number one. And what that means is becoming a technological leader, as well as being, say, a diplomatic or a military leader. And just before the Congress started, China got a major blow when Joe Biden announced a ban on the export Mm. of uh, material which could help the production of advanced semiconductors, these microchips, which are very advanced, and so that basically uh, nobody in America or America's allies probably would be able to export any of this stuff or the know-how to China. And the idea was that in this race of, of technology, that America wasn't going to just run faster, but it was also going to hobble the guy just behind them. And so, uh, so but uh, Xi Jinping's response to this was to say, well, we're going to develop our own and we're going to focus on getting all these people to do it.
1: Now, one of the big flashpoints in in global terms uh, when it comes to to China is, of course, Taiwan. And uh, in recent days, the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, has said that China is pursuing a, a unification policy with Taiwan faster than maybe had been anticipated. Did Taiwan come up at the Congress at all?
0: Yes, Xi Jinping spoke about the reunification, said they were going to pursue it peacefully. But he got a big round of applause when he said that China would never renounce the possibility of the use of force. And we reserve the option to taking all measures necessary. I suppose, first of all, we should say that the, uh, the United Nations, the United States and Ireland all recognize that there is only one China, so that Taiwan and mainland China are part of Mm. a single country, and the only China they recognize is the People's Republic of China, capital Beijing. However, in the uh, last few decades, Taiwan went from being a military dictatorship uh, to becoming a democracy, and really since the 1990s, it's been a flourishing liberal democracy. So that's Uh, created an awful lot more sympathy for Taiwan among uh, Western countries. And it's also meant that Taiwan has grown apart from mainland China. It's developed a different political culture. Now, the Taiwanese are quite careful not to Officially, try to declare independence. And people in the West or governments in the West are not suggesting that they ought to do so either. So until recently, there was a kind of a, a policy of ambiguity where uh, the policy, say, for a country like Ireland was that you wouldn't have diplomatic relations with Taiwan, but you could have other kinds of political, cultural, economic relationships mm. with entities in Taiwan. And that was okay. The Chinese were, were sort of okay with that as well where the United States were concerned was they they always had this kind of policy of strategic ambiguity about what would they do if China invaded Taiwan, if China decided to unify the country by force. And so the Americans have always kind of suggested that they might do, they would respond to what they would regard as something very serious, but they never actually said what they were going to do until recently. Mm. And four times in the last few weeks, Joe Biden said, we would come to Taiwan's defense by force. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. Yes. And that is a big change in the whole uh, situation. The other change that's happened over the last few years in terms of attitudes is that what uh, China had been saying to Taiwan was, we'll promise that Uh, if we reunify the country, that you'll still be able to have your own system. So it'll be one country, two systems, like in Hong Kong after the British left. But of course, the problem is that in the last couple of years, the Chinese have introduced national security law in Hong Kong, which has cracked down on democracy in Hong Kong and brought it more into line. So the idea of one country, two systems, when the Taiwanese look at at Hong Kong and what's happened to Hong Kong, they say, no, thank you. Mm. So there's no question but that the tensions over Taiwan have increased. And when Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, went to visit Taiwan recently, China organized these military exercises around Taiwan. Which showed the way in which they could blockade the island, and they also uh, fired a missile over the island. And so uh, that was a kind of a demonstration of military power the united states has become much more hawkish about china in general and about taiwan in particular in recent years the americans fear that the chinese are looking at uh, a window of opportunity uh, where they think that right now they might be in the next few years they might be strong enough to go and uh, take taiwan and to deal with any american response uh, whereas if they wait a bit longer they might lose their opportunity It's just not clear where the Chinese are actually going to go with regard to that. I mean, I I think that uh, when they say they would prefer to do it by peaceful means, I'm sure they would. but But as Xi Jinping said, they're not ruling anything else out either.
1: Can I move very quickly to another part of the world? How is the war in Ukraine being reported in China? And what's the sentiment towards Russia there that you've been able to work out?
0: Well, the way the war is reported in official media is uh, there's a certain amount of hand-wringing about what a terrible situation it is. There's certainly quite a lot of blame being laid at the door of NATO for expanding eastwards and threatening Russia. They would tend to report a lot of the Russian side of the argument, but they also report things that uh, have happened uh, in Ukraine. And China itself, uh, although it has been essentially supportive diplomatically of the Russians, in this campaign. They are presenting themselves as a bit of an honest broker in all of this and, uh, you know, and suggesting they stay neutral. They've been very careful about what they do. Uh, They haven't Breached any Western sanctions. They haven't been providing arms or equipment of that nature to the Russians. And so they have been, you know, they certainly, it's quite clear that the Chinese don't want the Russians to lose. But they, uh, you know, but there's a limit to how far I think they're prepared to go in their support for, uh, for Russia. It's been a terrible problem for China because really one of the things it's done is it's horribly soured China's relationship with the European Union. And when there was a summit some months ago, Uh, between the European Union and China, the European side felt that the Chinese just didn't Grasp how existential the the Ukrainian situation was for Europeans. Mm. That this wasn't just some kind of a foreign policy issue. This was something happening right in Europe and on the uh, you know, on the doorstep of the European Union. And the Chinese didn't uh, they thought grasp all of that. So I think that the, you know China has found itself in diplomatic difficulties. Its support for Russia has uh, been costly for China, and I think that they would certainly like to see the. Uh, uh, see that uh, conflict resolved, but not in such a way that completely humiliates uh, or defeats Russia because the last thing they want is uh, Putin to go and some new leader in Russia to bring Russia into the orbit of the West.
1: Xi Jinping is solidifying his position as the supreme leader in China. What does his grip on power mean when it comes
0: to global politics? Well, I think the first thing it means is that he is solidifying the grip of the Communist Party on every area of life in china that was one of uh, essentially one of his manifestos when he uh, promises when he came into power uh, 10 years ago was that he was going to restore the primacy of the party there's been a huge anti-corruption drive he's been he spoke on sunday about how the party strengthened itself through self reform and so uh, it's very clear that uh, he's going you know that anybody who thought that china was going to start liberalizing it's not as long as xi jinping is in charge his grip on power means also that, uh, you know, he himself is going to be in a position probably to surround himself with people who are uh, like-minded, who are close to him. Uh, he is going to continue to promote this idea, uh, kind of a nationalist approach of uh, of China being resurgent, of a strong China, a China that stands up to uh, you know to the rest of the world. And I think that you know uh, much will depend on how the Americans behave towards China. We're expecting that Xi Jinping and Joe Biden will meet at the G20 in uh, a few weeks' time. And the German Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, will be uh, here to meet uh, Xi Jinping in a few weeks as well. And so there's a chance that now that Xi Jinping, once he gets his third term uh, in office that maybe uh, he'll be in a position to start relaxing relations with the rest of the world. His problem, I think, is that it doesn't look like America wants to relax in terms of its approach to China, and, uh, and Xi Jinping certainly is not going to roll over where they're concerned.
1: That's it for today. This episode of In the News was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Aideen Finnegan. We'll be back on Friday.